Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are currently in week 15 of our Apostles' Creed series. This week, Pastor Kenny teaches from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58, about why we should be the most encouraged and motivated people on the planet. Uh, So this morning, we're going to look at these last two pieces, this week and next week anyways, we will. And so this morning is the resurrection of the body. The resurrection of the body. So first off, what does that even mean? What is the resurrection of the body? What are we talking about here? The resurrection of the body is a simple way of of describing something that the church has always believed, that is taught in the scriptures, and it's this, that one day, Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to take us to be where he is. He's going to take us to be with him. Oftentimes we call that what? Heaven, right? The place where he's going to take us is called heaven. And he's going to, we're going to rise up. Those who are, have already passed, have, are already with the Lord. When, when, as soon as you die, it says in 1 Corinthians, if you're a believer, you're present with the Lord. So, so they're already with him, but they're in this, in this space of waiting, just like we are, for Jesus to come back. It'll be the end of the age. And it says that all those who are still alive who are believers will be caught up. And all those who have, have, have already passed, have been with him all these years, they'll all be caught up together and will be resurrected and will have resurrected bodies. We'll have new bodies. When you go to a new heaven and a new earth, if you're not new, you're going to mess it up. So we need a resurrected body. And so sometimes uh, uh, theologians uh, refer to the resurrection of the body and they would say that indicates our individual, each of us who are true believers, will one day have new bodies, resurrected bodies, glorified bodies, it sometimes says, right? We'll have these new bodies. Individually, you'll have a new body. And that's sometimes uh, theologians look at it that way. Other theologians look at this when it says the resurrection of the body, it, it, it refers to the corporate body, the body of Christ, that will be resurrected together as a resurrected body on that day. Which one is true? They're both true. You don't have to pick or choose. We will individually receive new bodies and collectively, with our new bodies, we'll be together as one body. And so either way, it's just true and it's beautiful and it's scriptural. And the, the, the key passage that we'll find this, uh, this taught, it isn't taught very broadly. It doesn't give us all the specifics that we would, would, would want. doesn't answer all of our questions as we'll look at this morning. But in 1 Corinthians 15, we, we find Paul talking about this very subject. So if you would turn in your, in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll be looking at uh, uh, verses 50 through 58. As you guys turn there, 1 Corinthians 15, I want to start off by just asking two kind of stretching questions. Two questions that kind of will get us kind of ready to understand why is this relevant, not only in the future, but even right now. And I would ask you, these two questions. Number one, how do you get through tough seasons? How do you get, everybody faces tough seasons and, and those will be a whole spectrum. I remember when I was doing junior high ministry as a, as a young man trying to serve the Lord by serving these teenagers who were teenagers, right? Which makes it challenging and fun and exciting and challenging. And and, and as, you're, as you're facing, as, as, you're, as you're doing junior high ministry, you start to realize like, like these kids will come and they'll, they'll be broken hearted. And it's like, you know, I went out with that girl for a whole hour. 
And she said, I just gave her a note. It said, if you like me, circle yes, nor maybe. And she circled yes. Now, an hour later, she doesn't like me anymore. She likes my friend Tommy, right? And, and, they're, and they're crushed. And you're like, well, it's just kind of puppy love. And like, like that's, that's not a real issue. But you learn as a junior high, uh, a pastor, a junior high, that it's a real big deal to them. If it's a real big deal to them, you want to enter into that with them and let it be a real big deal because all throughout life, you're going to have hard things that you're going to face. And as a junior hire, you're, 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 you're being prepared for that. Thankfully, with hopefully for most junior hires, it's smaller things that are getting them ready for adult life. Some junior hires face harder things than we would ever want them to. And we want to be there for that too. But the reality is, is everyone goes through hard seasons But how do you make it through hard seasons? Perhaps you're going through a hard season right now and you're asking that very question. How do I make it through this hard season? It's a good question. It's an important question. And we're going to see Paul speaks to this a little bit this morning. And then the second question is, what motivates you to work hard? What motivates... Everybody, you need to be... You need to have the ability to get through hard seasons because hard seasons will come. And, and the ability to motiv- be motivated is an important skill. Amen? Amen? Not everybody stays motivated. Not everybody is motivated. The ability to, motiv- to get motivated and stay motivated is a very important skill. But how do you do that? How do you get motivated? And how do you get through hard seasons? And so we'll kind of dig into Paul's uh, uh, instruction about this, and it's found in 1 Corinthians 15, 50-58. He says this, he says, I tell you this, brothers and sisters, I will add, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable in, inherit the, uh, no, no, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means pa- be passed away. We will not all die. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and, the, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on Immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my, bro- my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. A great and deep passage, Paul teaching 2,000 years ago to these people in Corinth, and I would submit incredibly relevant for us today. And the way that this is kind of packaged, or the way that we're going to look at it is this. In this we see three key elements in this passage. And the first one is a promise. And the promise is this. A greater change than any of us can fully imagine is coming. Just sit on that for a moment. A greater 
change than any of us can fully imagine is coming. That's the promise in this passage. And then there's two two pieces of application. And the first one is this. In light of this, we should be encouraged to endure all things until that day. In light of this promise, we should be encouraged to endure all things until that day. To never give up. And when you fall down, have you guys ever fallen down? Then get back up. Don't give up and get back up is the key to enduring all things. And then number three in there, the second application is this. That in light of this promise, we should be encouraged to work hard for the kingdom until that day. Or to be motivated and to keep pushing forward and, and to strive to advance this kingdom that we're a part of. So there's these three important things that we see in this passage. And we're going to just walk through them very slowly this morning. And hopefully we'll walk out of here uh, really encouraged. And if you, if you need motivation... My prayer is that you will walk out of here on fire. And if you, need, if you need encouragement, my prayer is that you will walk out of here more encouraged than you could imagine. And so the first part of this is to understand the promise. So let's look a little deeper at this promise. And the first thing in your notes that we see Paul saying about the resurrection of the body is this, that we will all be changed. That one day we will all be changed. And now Paul is very specifically speaking to the believers in Corinth. So when he says all, is he referring to all of humanity? No, he's referring to all true believers. He's talking to the church. He's talking to all true believers who have put their faith in this Jesus Christ and his death, uh, his burial, his resurrection uh, for the forgiveness of sins. And that they're reconciled to God by that and by that alone. Uh, these are the people he's talking about. And he says to all of us, we will all be changed. Some questions I would ask when, when, we, when we think about the fact that we are going to get a new body. What's the first question that might come to mind? It's this. What exactly will that look like? What will our new body be like? Now, I want to just kind of... Uh, 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 let you down gently, but here's the reality. We don't know. We don't know because the Bible doesn't answer this. It doesn't tell us with specifics. It doesn't describe. It doesn't give us a specification. Like if you go on Amazon Prime and you're going to order something, you go to the bottom of the page, you look at the specs, it tells you how big, how wide, how all those things. And, and it doesn't, we don't have any of that. We just have this reality that we will be changed and it doesn't tell us what that will be like. And, and John talks about this in 1 John uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through, through 3. He says it like this. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We are children of God. That's now. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. So we know that we are now children of God and we have an explanation of why being a a child of God is so hard in this lifetime. Amen? And he says, uh, Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. What is he saying? 
We don't, we, it hasn't appeared yet. It hasn't happened yet. We don't know what it's going to look like. We just know that it will happen. We know what it looks like now. It's hard. And we're children of God, but we will be changed. But that has not appeared yet. And he says, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Or in other words, uh, 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 everyone who hopes in him, that's the all. That's the true believers. And what we do now as children of God, even though it's hard, is we keep working hard to try to become more and more like him now. Or we, we like to say it here, everybody's in process, but the process is not without purpose. And the process is not without power, God's power. And the point of the process is to become more like Jesus, to become more mature in Christ. But we don't know exactly what this is going to look like. One commentator named Ben Myers from Australia, I don't have a good Australian accent. I wish I did. More people would show up. Everyone likes to listen to an Australian accent. But he says this. He says, we will be the same persons that we are now, yet unimaginably different. That's the idea. We're not going to be new people. We're going to have new bodies. We're going to be the same people with new bodies. We're going to be us. And what we will be like is unimaginable. One one reason why the Bible probably doesn't describe what it's going to be like is because there aren't words here to describe what it's going to be like. Matter of fact, Paul says that in one of his other letters. He says, I was caught up into this third heaven and I just can't, it's not that I don't want to describe it to you guys. I really can't. I don't have words to describe it, but it'll be unimaginably and we will be changed. We don't know what that will look like. So the next question would be, why? Why must we be changed? Why do we need to be changed? And Paul tells us in this passage that now we are flesh and blood, right? We're dirt. We came from dirt. We're going to return to dirt. We're flesh and blood. And along with that, he says, we're mortal. We're human with all the brokenness and the sin and the, and the mortality. We're mortal. We're human. And there's sinful nature involved with that. And we're perishable. At the curse, when Adam and Eve sinned, right? We weren't going to live forever, Now it was appointed for every man to live and then to die, to perish. And amen, right? Any of you guys want to live to be forever in this body, on this earth? I don't. It was actually a gift from God. But we're all perishable. And in order to go to the place that's eternal, we'll need new bodies. We need to be changed. Now I don't know why. Maybe it's because um, I had too much sleep or not enough sleep or too much pizza. But when I was thinking about this idea that we all need to be changed, I thought about that great biblical story. Not biblical story. It's actually a Disney story that came from a fairy tale of Cinderella. You guys, heard, you guys ever heard of that? Anyone not heard of Cinderella? Get out. No, just kidding. Don't get out. But the story of Cinderella is interesting. It's this young girl uh, for whom life has been incredibly unfair, Right? Her dad used to love her, dad passed away, and now she has her stepmother, and what is her stepmother? It's an evil stepmother, right? Doesn't treat her very well. Uh, Matter of fact, does everything that she can to try to oppress her and to keep her from moving forward, though she has a lot. She's beautiful, she has friends, she has potential, but she has this one problem that cuts at her potential, and it's her evil stepmother. It's her oppressor, it's the oppression. 
And then the plot turns when the prince of the land invites all the single ladies. I was wondering if that was going to work. And then I saw Adam showed up. I knew all the single ladies, all the single ladies was going to work. Good. That's actually in my notes, if you, if you didn't know. I, that's what it's come to. I write jokes into my notes now. Uh, and he invites all the single ladies to this ball, and that includes Cinderella. Cinderella is invited to the ball, and, but she doesn't have clothes. She doesn't have everything she needs, but she has some friends who happen to be mice. Everyone needs some good mice friends, right? And they, they try their best to, to help her out, to get her ready for the ball. But the, the evil stepmother finds out and comes and, and, and basically uh, wipes out all their plans and, and foils their plans. And so just when Cinderella is feeling like there's no more hope, everyone else is going to be at the ball and she's going to be locked in this house cleaning and doing all her chores. All of a sudden, when there's no more hope, who shows up? Right? The fairy godmama. The fairy godmama shows up and she's like, hey, there's hope again. You're going to the ball. What's the problem, though? You can't go to the ball looking like that, right? With your jank clothes, your scraggly hair, right? This ain't make, no makeup Monday, right? So she, all of a sudden, with her fairy godmother type powers, transforms Cinderella into somebody who's ready for the occasion, ready for the ball. And of course, this isn't exactly like what we're talking about, but it does have a lot of parallels. A lot of the greatest stories, I would suggest, that we, that we grasp onto, we grasp onto them because there's something about the story that's written on our hearts about what God is actually doing, right? And so there's this, there's this idea that Cinderella is a young lady, unworthy in the eyes of the world, oppressed by the very systems that should be helping her to thrive, But she's not thriving, right? Until a greater power comes along and gives her that which she can't give to herself and transforms her slowly but 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 totally into into somebody who's ready for the ball. Let me ask you this. You guys ever feel like Cinderella? Like the world picks favorites and you're always last in line. Like no matter how hard you try, you just can't get a break. Like the world is cruel and unfair and you're on the wrong side of the tracks. Well, here's the bad news. We don't have a fairy godmama. We don't have a fairy godmama. But here's the good news. And this is coming from 1 John 3 He says, we have a loving God who adopts us. He cares for us and is preparing a final home for us. And the word says that in order to go to that royal ball, that royal banquet, we all need to be changed. We need to be changed. And God is the very one who is able to do the changing. And my favorite part of this passage is in verse 21. It says, we will all be changed. Did you guys capture that? We will all be changed. Hashtag, no one gets left behind. Thinking on Memorial Day of that great Marines uh, motto, no one gets left behind. Where do you think they got that motto? Right? God has had that motto all along. The playing ground is completely leveled 
No one gets left behind. No favorites. No Cinderella's. God is going to take all of us and transform us in a moment and prepare us for this great eternal time with God forever. And it's going to be beautiful. And it says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when will this happen? Now we know what, will, what it will look like. We don't know. Why, we know. Well, when will this happen? Again, we don't know. We don't know when this will happen. But in the passage, it says, some will still be alive. It says, we shall not all sleep, but we all be changed. Some will still be alive. Some will already have, been, have, have already passed away. Many have already gone to be with the Lord. But when Jesus comes back, all those who are still alive, all those who have are, are, are past and have been with him will be caught up together in one moment. No one will be get left. No one will be left behind. It'll be e- the the playing field will be even, and everybody will be there, and it'll be all about him and his grace. And it says, one day this will happen. Doesn't tell you what the one day is. It just tells you one day. And the Bible says that Jesus will come with a trumpet sound. When Jesus comes with a trumpet sound, that's a very familiar Jewish uh, uh, idea or ideology that on the last day at the end times in the Old Testament prophecies in this passage here in Revelations we see that there's going to be a final trumpet and that's going to bring back Jesus and Jesus is going to come back on that final trumpet it doesn't mean the final trumpet that will ever be blown right it's like saying the last inning I'm not, when I say this is the last inning to your kids, like, how many more innings is this, right? This is the last inning of this game. Not the last inning ever, necessarily. Right? When it says the last trumpet, it means this age is now done. Jesus is back, and he's going to take us to be with him. And when he does that, he will announce his victory over sin and death. I don't know what that's going to look like, but if I was Jesus, I would just kind of, trumpet blows, Show up and be like, death, what's up? I won, right? Something like that, but probably a lot different, more Jesus-y. And then, and then spoiler alert, if you never read the Bible before, what this is saying is God wins, right? Billy Graham, the, the late great evangelist, was often quoted saying that I've read the last page of the Bible. It's all going to turn out all right. Right? So this idea of victory. And the, and the next question would be, how is this going to happen? What is this going to look like? And the passage says that in a moment, this word is a Greek word, and it's the word that we get the R word, Adam. Like in science, the smallest known unit of matter. In a moment, the smallest moment is the idea that he's trying to grasp. In the, in the, in the, in the smallest unit of time, it's going to happen. And he says, in a twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. And then in verse 51, again, it says we shall all be changed. So how will this happen? It just gives you a little bit of a a, a declaration. He's going to be in charge. He's going to blow the trumpet. He's going to come back. We're going to get to be caught up with him. He's going to be in charge of that. And the most important thing I would say is this. 
it will happen. The reality is, is what Paul is saying is you won't, you won't know exactly what it's going to look like. You won't know exactly when, but know this. It's a reality. It will happen. In verse 52, he says, the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. And when it says be raised imperishable, that's where we get the idea of the resurrection of the body. will be raised imperishable. In verse 54, it says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. It says, when. It doesn't say if, does it? It doesn't say if this happens. No, it says when this happens. And then it says, then it shall come to pass. And then he quotes two Old Testament passages. He says, it is written. Now, scholars... Hebrew scholars, Jewish scholars often would do this. When they're quoting, they'll take two Old Testament passages and they'll graph them together and, 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 and bring to light this, this one meaning. It was very normal for them to do that. Paul, being a Pharisee of Pharisees, was, was trained to do this. and does this in this moment. And he quotes Isaiah 25, verses 8 and 9. It says this, He will swallow up death forever. This is written 700 years before Jesus even shows up on this earth. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Doesn't that sound awesome? And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Isn't that amazing to think that one day all this trouble will be behind us and that day is going to appear and he's going to show up. There's going to be a trumpet. Imagine the chills you're going to have with that trumpet. I was at a graduation this last week for the Orange County Fire Authority. I work for the Orange County Fire Authority and they were were graduating um, some new recruits. Let me just tell you, there's about a thousand people there and that's only a thousand people and and then the bagpipes start playing. Like, I can't do it, right? And these drums. I mean, I'm telling you, these guys are marching in, and I know them all. I'm like, dorks. No, just kidding. I wasn't doing that. And they're like banging these drums and playing these. I'm just telling you, there were some goosebumps. There wasn't an arm that didn't have goosebumps, I would bet, in that whole crowd. Imagine when that trumpet blows. Imagine when that trumpet blows. What will that sound like? We don't know. I don't even think it's imaginable. Nothing, has, nothing like it has ever happened before. And then Jesus shows up. We don't know what exactly it's going to look like. We weren't there when he, when he ascended. It says it's going to be like when he ascended. Well, I wasn't there. I don't know what it's going to look like. But he's going to show up. And it's going to be like, whoa, I knew it was true, but I didn't know it was true. At least that's how I'm going to be. I'm going to be like, I knew it was true, right? But I didn't know it was true. Like it's, it just was going to hit me like this reality. And that's what Paul is trying to say to this Corinthian people who are struggling themselves. This is ha- going to happen. And then he's quoting also from Hosea. says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol, the place of the dead. And I shall redeem them from death. Oh, death, where are your plagues? Oh, Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. So Paul is saying, 
This has always been what's going to happen, but we're now one step closer because Jesus has now come. He's died. He's risen from the dead. It has been finished. And we're in this time of awaiting that final victory blow when Jesus comes back. I just feel like, where do you go from there? Maybe we just need to sit in that for a moment. Maybe you came in this morning and you're so caught up in the difficulties of life and every once in a while you just need to take a step back, take a a deep breath and remember the bigger picture. That's what Paul is trying to allude to. There's this guy, Eugene Bartlett. In 1939, he was from Missouri. He was a United States uh, boy. And he wrote a bunch of hymns. And he wrote, the favorite one that he wrote, my favorite one that he wrote, is is called Victory in Jesus. I want to read it for you guys. He was inspired by this idea that there's going to be victory in Jesus. Jesus, on that final day, when he comes back to get us, gives us new heaven, new earth, new bodies to enjoy it. And he says, I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ever I knew Him, and all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. And I heard about His healing, of His cleansing power revealing, how He made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, Dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow, Jesus came and brought to me the victory. And I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. About the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day, I'll sing up there the song of victory. A great promise, wouldn't you guys agree? Now, how should this impact our day-to-day grind? How should this impact us every single day of our lives in, in in the knowledge of that? And Paul gives us two applications. And the first one is this, that in Christ, with this knowledge, in Christ, we can endure all things. In Christ, we can endure all things. And I ask you guys this question, how do you get through tough seasons? And Paul in this passage says this, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. Be steadfast, immovable. Now the therefore, what does that mean? The therefore is there for a reason. It's there because there was something before it that he wants you to be highlighted. So in light of all that we've been talking about, our victory in Jesus, in light of that, he says, be steadfast and be immovable. Now, I always said it like this. To be steadfast is what I would call the Christian word for stud. To be steadfast is to be the same no matter what people do to you or don't do for you. 
To be steadfast is to be the same person in all circumstances. Consistent in all circumstances. Steadfast. How can we be steadfast in light of the fact that we have this great promise coming? Like when we think about the fact that no matter what happens to me here, whatever people do to me or don't do to me, all of us who are believers are going to be made all new. And he's going to wipe away every tear, every hurt, every broken piece. And he's going to take us ready. And that's going to be for eternity. In light of that, he's saying, that should help us to be steadfast. Now, this word, the Greek word here for immovable is the Christian word for immovable. It means immovable. It means the same thing. It means we're, 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 we're solid. We're strong. Right? You can't be moved. You, 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 you're grounded. You're ready for whatever can come. And Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 4. Verses 11 through 13, he says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, I'm, I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and in need. And he says, I can do all things through him who strengthened me. And oftentimes kids like to get a tattoo and they say, look, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I can be what, I mean, if I want to be a Dodger, I just go, I just pray and like, I can be that. No, he's not saying you can do whatever you want. It's saying you can get through whatever comes through Christ who strengthens you. That's the context that Paul is talking about. And so I would say, how do we face hard seasons? And Paul is saying, I'm able, I've learned how to do that. And then in, in, in Romans 8, he says something profound. I think he really gets to the heart of how specifically, what kind of attitude perspective does, does Paul grab onto in order to make it through these hard seasons? He says in Romans 8, he goes, I consider that these present sufferings, real, hard, not, not, nothing to make light of, nothing to necessarily just overlook or not deal with, but he says, I, I, I consider that these, these present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed on the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying, when I go through a hard time, I take a step back and I remember. I remember the bigger picture and it helps me get through the hardest of seasons. And we'll have the worship team come back up, please, as we look at one more application. And it's this. Number three in your notes. He says that all kingdom worth, work is worth it. All kingdom work is worth it. We can endure all things through Christ who strengthens us. And all that we do through Christ who strengthens us is worth it. Remember I asked, what motivates you to work hard? Paul is suggesting here in verse 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is never in vain. What is the work of the Lord? What do you guys think the work of the Lord is? I would say this. Let's not get confused and think that it's okay to neglect our families and our work 
and our responsibility to spend all of our time serving at Remembrance Community Church. I don't want you to do that. That's not the work of the Lord. This is the work of the Lord, but it's not the only work of the Lord. When you take care of your kids, that's the work of the Lord. When you, when you love your husbands and wives, when you're a good child, when you're a good employee, when you're a good neighbor, when you're a good whatever season you're in, whatever your circumstances are, when you do that with all of your might as unto the Lord, that's the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord is not so much a what as it is an attitude. It's the why. Why you do what you do makes it the work of the Lord, not what you do. If you do it because you're doing it inspired by all that God is, all that God has done and all that God has promised, when you, when you live that way, when, when, that is, when that is your motivation, that becomes the work of the Lord. And somehow he's able to use even the simplest things. When, you're, when you walk out of your house and you see your neighbor and you smile, and you didn't even know how much that smile meant, but God used that smile somehow to plant a seed in his life. It's like crazy. How do you do that, God? But he's able. When you go to work and you work hard and everyone else around you is like, that guy, when, when I went to Dale's, uh, I'm just going to uh, brag on Dale for a moment. Is that okay, Victoria? Amen. All right. I went, to, I went to, to Dale's retirement celebration and I talked to all these people. Dale, for, is it 34 years? 34 years, faithful with Chevron, right? Worked unto the Lord. And here's what I saw. I saw people who have been impacted by Dale's love, Dale's work ethic, Dale's commitment to the company, Dale's commitment to his family, Dale's commitment to those who are under him, Dale's commitment to those who are over him. And I mean, I don't want to embarrass Dale, but, and, and this isn't about Dale. This is about, that is something that the Lord has done in and through Dale. And as he was working unto the Lord in these simple, everyday, normal ways, God was using that. People were impacted. People are, are going to be in heaven because of Dale's work ethic. Yes. I know that because I met them and they told me that. We should all strive to be like that. The idea here. What Paul is saying is if we can just step back every once in a while and remember the big picture, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard in the small picture. We got to just step back together sometimes and remember the big picture. He's coming back. We can make it. Keep going. Don't give up. Everything that you do, it's worth it. Make your bed in the morning. Don't go, oh, I'm just going to sleep it in again tonight, right? Don't mess up here. He's coming back anyway. He's going to change everything anyways. Why do I even need to work? No, he's like, it's not in vain. He's using it. He wants to use it. The simple things of life. Maybe What's God's will for your life? Husbands, God's will for your life is to get up and put your socks in the hamper. Amen, amen. Amen, amen. Right? Like the simple things, why we do what we do matters so much because God wants to use it. Well, how do we get to that place? We remember what he's done, who he is, and what he's promised. When we cling to that, it makes us worshipers. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.